0: Welcome to She Is Your Neighbour, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbour, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. This week's episode is called Navigating the Legal System with David Morneau. Dave is the executive director of a nonprofit called Child Witness Center. This organization helps children who are victims or witnesses of abuse and crime. Before stepping into this role, Dave was actually a family lawyer for many years. In this episode, he talks about navigating the legal system, what forms of domestic violence are recognized by law, and what challenges exist within the system. He reflects on his own experience working in the field, and he shares his perspective on where he thinks we need to go to create a more holistic system when it comes to domestic and family violence. Dave is a really great guy who does a lot for our community, and I'm so excited for you to hear from him. So let's get this started. Thanks again for joining me today, Dave.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored to be asked to be a a part of this project.
0: Excited to have you here. Uh, So can you start by sharing a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I I grew up, I'm a native of Windsor. Uh, I married the girl next door, uh, my wife Andrea, in 1998. We have two kids together. And I moved up here in 1997 and started practicing law in 1999 and spent over 20 years practicing family law in this region, Waterloo Region, Guelph, uh, Wellington County. Um, I started off as a litigator. The traditional view of what people have of a courtroom lawyer, you know, the Perry Mason type, I'm going to break you under cross-examination. I handled a lot of motions and trials. Um, I was good at it. Uh, I realized, though, as I progressed in my career, that, that way of doing things often left people unable to communicate going forward. Uh, you were trying to help the whole family. Um, so I started utilizing these different experts, and one of the things that pushed me in that direction is I spent the majority of my career representing kids uh, in court through the Office of the Children's Lawyer. I think 15, 17 years, I can't remember exactly how many years, but almost the entirety of my practice. uh, I represented kids in custody and access and child welfare proceedings, and listened to what they had to say. I saw that uh, they weren't collateral damage, they were directly impacted by what was going on between their parents. So I felt that, you know what, stepping away from the traditional practice of law, which I was never really uh, comfortable with anyway. Um, And stepping into a role where I'm part of the solution is how I saw it. Um, It it really helped me focus my practice. And it's also what helped me to, or what prompted me to switch careers. Uh, I started a new role in January of this year after almost 21 years of practice as the executive director of the Child Witness Center, which is a grassroots organization dedicated to providing advocacy and support to children and youth uh, who are or may become witnesses to or victims of crime violence and abuse
0: yeah that was really exciting when you came into that role now you're one of our partners so it's it's really exciting and
1: i enjoy you you know what i my i took my career in a much different direction in terms of collaboration Uh, i really came to appreciate and understand what true collaboration means and that means really knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and what you don't know there are other people and other organizations like yours and so many other organizations in the community that uh, that do know and bringing them in and working together that's what really excites me is is that holistic model all of us working together
0: yeah i think so too and i think that's how we do our best work is You know, like you said, relying on the experts and working together. So, yeah. So today we're going to talk a bit about domestic violence. We're going to talk about the legal system. Um, So I kind of want to start and I wanted to ask you if you could explain what forms of domestic violence are recognized by Canadian law and what that even means.
1: Well, hoping that this is changing sometime soon. It's been put on the back burner and because of COVID, it's been put on the back burner even further but with Bill uh, C-78, um, what was exciting me towards the end of my practicing days was this wholesale change that um, myself and so many others have been saying was necessary in the way that uh, separation and divorce is handled. Just the view that we take of things, the language that we use, becoming more uh, careful and becoming more purposeful. Um, Family violence in and of itself was almost an abstract concept and still is in terms of how it's clearly defined in the legislation. So Bill C-78, one of the things, and and actually I'm going to read it because I think it's very impactful what uh, the research taught the legislators family violence needs to mean. So once Bill C-78 is passed, Uh, Family violence will be defined as any conduct, whether or not the conduct constitutes a criminal offense, by a family member towards another family member that is violent or threatening, or that constitutes a pattern of coercive and controlling behavior, or that causes that other family member to fear for their own safety, or for that of another person. And in the case of a child, the direct or indirect exposure to such conduct And it includes a number of different areas, some of which were what we traditionally would have uh, viewed as intimate partner domestic or family violence, Uh, and some of it was more um, anecdotal. So things like physical abuse, obviously that's something that we would, uh, and and quite frankly early on in my practice that I would have only viewed uh, that as domestic violence. Um, sexual abuse, uh, threats to kill or cause bodily harm, harassment including stalking, uh, failure to provide the necessaries of life, psychological abuse, financial abuse, which is huge. Uh, we knew it was happening, we saw it happen. Um, one of the partners, typically the man, would have more money and would, um, to use common vernacular, would bleed the other person dry and essentially get the result that they wanted more from attrition than from uh, having a genuine case Um, and seeing things like that happen. Other things that come up too that we know are uh, risk factors that come up in in intimate partner domestic violence and family violence are threats to kill or harm an animal or damage property or actually causing that harm. Um, So just in preparation for this because it's been I, I, it feels like four years that I've been away from the practice of law, and it's uh, it's only been six months. I, I went to back to Jody Wilson-Raybould's comments um, and what she said when the idea of Bill C-78 was introduced. And there was an importance uh, that she stressed on recognizing and addressing family violence, on making sure that children... Um, whether they're the direct victims or witnesses to that violence, uh, that there is a, an impact uh, that carries on within the family and that we need to do better, we need to recognize this, we need to address this in our legislation. Um, and I'm hoping that this leads, I think this is just the first step to be quite honest Jenna, I think this needs to lead uh, to something better, a system that's better that addresses this and quite frankly, not just uh, I, I'm not thinking about this from some kind of punitive aspect because you also have the abuser and in an adversarial setting, what message is sent um, when uh, when we don't address the abuse that's going on. So I you know I have plenty of ideas. I wish the government would, bring me on board uh, because I'd love to share those ideas with the government about how we can make things better. I mean, even from the standpoint of uh, when I went through law school and I took family law, um, addressing any form of violence was not, we just addressed what was in the legislation which was pretty minimal, It basically said that any acts, um, unless it was violence uh, that impacted parenting and it didn't really give a clear concept of what that was. Um, that was the limit. So there was no specialized training. Through the course of my practice, I took three days of specialized intimate partner violence training. Three days. That doesn't make me an expert. What it does is it gives me the ability to recognize, it gives me the ability to ask questions, um, and it gives me the ability to identify and then address that in in some way shape or form because we have an adversarial system I mean the system at its core is still it's a competitive system it's adversarial that V is in the middle of those two names for a reason Um, and so that sets it up for somebody wins and somebody loses Mm -hmm. well winning means a hell of a lot to you think about what that can do uh, to the whole process Right. think about what that can do to that individual so we need to start thinking about this more holistically. We need to uh, not only create a definition, but how are we going to address this going forward? What are we going to implement? Not just orders, court orders that are made, but what experts, what levels of expertise need to be there? What levels of expertise do we need our judges to have?
0: Yeah, and the three days of training that you mentioned, that that just doesn't sound like a lot to me, Mm. quite honestly.
1: and that's at the high end, Jenna, right? That's, yeah. that's at the high end. That was training that we had to pay for uh, locally. And again, what it opened my eyes to is, holy crap, there's so much I don't know. And so I need to start involving other professionals that do. And, and let's let our work complement each other so that we can bring this family in transition through to the other side, um, in as best a shape that they can be, because there's a lot of emotion that goes on with uh, uh, with separation and divorce. Um, but you know, um, well, w- w- I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. But just in, in terms of the risk factors that mm-hmm. even the system itself uh, can generate, um, so why don't we save that for another?
0: Yeah, no, one? let's talk about that a bit more. So. Um, I know there are some risk assessment tools that lawyers can use uh, when we're talking about intimate partner violence, uh, domestic violence, family violence. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what these tools are and how lawyers would use them to assess risk?
1: Well, they're in the form of questionnaires and there are a number of them uh, that are used. There were ones in my practicing days uh, that I preferred, but I think it's one of those individual things that different professionals uh, uh, would look at uh, or would utilize um, I you know I think the the bigger issue is being able to identify even at that rudimentary point that you know what there's uh, there's potentially an issue here and, and I like to look at things it used to, I think there was a time where we would only look at domestic violence within the profession as being that extremely abusive situation. Mm-hmm. And so there are often times where I wasn't even asking those cursory questions because, I you know, if you would have asked me, I would have said, well, percentage of my practice, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, percentage of my practice that I serve as somebody who had been through some level on that continuum of domestic violence. You know, maybe at the one end it's more along the lines of name calling, not that it's uh, that that's appropriate but at the and at the far end you have the fatality Mm -hmm. Um, and typically we would only see that which was shaded towards that far end towards a fatality where there was a violent incident where where there were criminal charges that were laid Um, and then you realize when you take training when you use these uh, risk assessment tools There are so many shades, so many different shades of that gray area. And being able to identify that, and not just identify that, but also empower those individuals that may not realize it themselves, um, whether it's the the victim or the perpetrator, and be able to bring in professionals that can help. I mean, I think, again, I'll stress, I think that's where the courts need to go, bring in. The domestic violence, the intimate partner violence, the family violence professionals to be able to assist this family uh, get through to the other side in a less adversarial way utilize court assisted mediation which is uh, there and it's, it's growing um, utilize those other services so that it's not a street fight in a courtroom Uh, where one person comes out winning, I'll tell you, very rarely did one person come out winning. I mean, everybody lost, and who lost even more were the kids.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I I think something that a lot of people don't consider is how often that those who are experiencing domestic violence themselves, they don't even recognize (laughs) it for what it is. Like, I've I've talked to countless women who have stayed in our shelters, and I've said this time and time again, but... It's, it's always surprising that they'll say they didn't realize that it was domestic violence. They never thought of it as being that. Mm-hmm. You know, There might not have been any physical abuse. So to them, you know, they just didn't have a very good relationship. But it wasn't until they got talking to friends and family who might have said, have you heard of women's crisis services? Have you heard of this or that? I think that doesn't sound quite right. And they help plant those seeds. Then kind of they have light bulb moments and Oh, this isn't a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. and you start to kind of recognize it but it's interesting because you as a lawyer like you are saying how many people in your practice do you think went through it and you're trying to figure it out but some of those women might have not even recognized what they're going through either
1: well and even even the concept um, you know I know that you and I both read some material in preparation for this but the concept of you had a client who maybe was needy uh, and the idea, the system is not built to necessarily get people through holistically. It's to get people through. It's it's a race, let's get to the end. Let's get that final order. Um, and and you would have situations where, uh, you know, and I know I had this in the course, and this is why taking that training was so important to me because it opened my eyes to, wow, there was a lot that I missed. You know, it's, it's one of those ideas, Jenna, that, I didn't know what I didn't know, and you know what? Maybe that person was acting that way because of what they've been through, because of their trauma, and it really helped me see things through a much different lens. Because typically, uh, early on in my practice, you would ask people directly, um, "Any abuse or violence?" And ninety-nine percent of the time, they, "Oh no, well, he never hit me." Well, that's, that's not it, uh, you know, it's not that you, again, we're thinking about things from that far end of the spectrum, uh, hedging towards fatality when, wait a second, maybe there was gaslighting going on, uh, maybe there was insults, uh, maybe there was a level of financial control that that person didn't even recognize. And unless you're asking the right questions and unless you're listening to what the responses are and asking the follow-up questions. You'll never tap into it, and you're just going to. Then it just becomes a um, a production line. Let's just get everything off the conveyor belt and produced, and have that finished product. Finished product being a, a final court order. It doesn't. It then doesn't prepare that family for the what next, right? Um, you may have a perpetrator thinking that I got a joint custodial order
0: mm-hmm.
1: because again, custody was another. Another thing that Bill C 78 is doing is, it's, again, it's taking away that language. Custody connotes um, winning and losing. Um, you know, I, as I became more skilled, as I got further into the, uh, my practice, when somebody would come in and say, I need sole custody, explain to me what that means. It means, well, kids are with me most of the time. Well, actually, no, that's time sharing. Custody is about decision making, and in you know it was my role to have to educate uh, people on that, and that's you know I think there are so many good lawyers in this community that do that that they have that component to educate. Um, I think where we fall short is we need to be exploring the areas of how to keep the fight um, to not put as much of an emphasis on that fight, on that acrimony, and to take things, again, I I would always be challenged when I would talk to other lawyers and I would talk to them about my way of doing it, and they would say, well, I do that already. And I would say to them, simply by filing those court documents, that means something to the individual, that person that you filed them for. They're ready for the fight. So you haven't really addressed it at all. And, And it was, you know what, it became at a certain point I felt like I was beating my head against a brick wall, and you can only do that for so long before you say, you know what, i got to step away before I get brain damage. Um, and that is is not to say that we can't do better. I think we need to purposely uh, seek out to do better. And, and I think we're heading in that direction. When you see the federal government, when you see the provinces taking it, this seriously to say we have to change it. These are all things that a lot of people have been saying. But again, at some point you just give in to, but this is a system that we have. This is how we've been doing it for hundreds of years. We don't ever analyze that qualitatively to say, and for hundreds of years has that been working? Because very early on in my practice, I would say this doesn't work. And what this does is it it can completely exacerbate risk factors that are already there potentially violent situations can become even more violent right we're, we're seeing what's happening with COVID-19 mm-hmm. right increases uh, you know people being in closed quarters together uh, in maybe difficult or strained situations becoming even more difficult or you take the really bad situations to begin with and then you add in because I think that there's evidence out there to show that uh, substance abuse has gone up. Again, another risk factor. Um, You know, there's starting, you're starting to see more articles now about COVID-19 separations that are happening. Mm -hmm. Another risk factor, uh, you know, the actual or impending uh, divorce or separation. Um, and, And we have to, we just have to be more careful. We have to ask more questions. Uh, We have to listen more and offer less advice in those situations and just absorb, try and get to what that person is going through. Because I'm certain that there were situations where I walked out of court thinking that, yep, I did a great job. I hit the home run. I'm a big baseball fan. (laughs) I hit the home run not, not realizing what was it that that person really wanted. Maybe, maybe what I got them wasn't necessarily as important, but that something else was. And maybe you can't put a monetary value because that, you know, I think when you get into the role that lawyers think that they need to serve, it's how much can I possibly get my client? I mean, I'm sure there are lawyers out there listening right now saying, no, that's not how I did it. And, and good on you, if that's how you did it. But I'll tell you, based on my observations, that was it. It was not giving in. It was a lawyer saying in the face of uh, a potential settlement, saying, I'm not going to allow you to do this because I don't agree with it. Well, maybe if you explored it, maybe that's the right approach to take. Or maybe if you explored it a little more, what you want to get them is far less important to them than what they're telling you that they need. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, point. and that kind of brings me, I'm wondering what you're, in your opinion, what the role of a family lawyer is, um, but just before we get there, I want to um, bring out something that you mentioned. I know you said there is growing awareness, and you see there's been calls in the media for change and things like that, and I agree, I've seen a lot, a lot more media coverage this year, about domestic violence than mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Um, CBC did their Stopping Domestic Violence series. And then when COVID-19 hit, you did see a lot of media coverage about those experienced domestic violence being trapped in the home with an abusive partner. Um, so to me, that's that's a sign of something positive, And it, it does seem like our community and our country people are starting to recognize this. And I think there is a shift happening, but I, I think it might be... know a little slower to get there
1: well and it's it's a lot of the work that uh, women's crisis services is doing um, in terms of let's not let it be a silent uh, incident a silent uh, pandemic a a silent occurrence let's put it out there and let's recognize it and you know what the way things were in the, the 50s 60s 70s 80s I lived through a couple of those decades I don't think you did but (laughs) you know we can we can grow I mean my mindset is that as systems but also as people we continue to evolve and evolution is a good thing Um, and and this is where we're recognizing it and it's not um, it's not that silent uh, occurrence that's happening anymore it's we're, we're putting it out there I, I think we also need to be mindful of the fact that it, it doesn't just end once we put it out there and, and name it and call it for what it is. What services need to happen? What wraparound needs to happen? Um, and that goes to, that goes to the victims. Um, it also goes to the perpetrators mm-hmm. right? in terms of what, what do they need? Because they're still going to exist in our society. And um, you know, simply ending it at you did something bad, and you, you know you're going to be shamed for it, and that's it. It can't just end there. So we need to have we need to think of things more holistically. Um, and I think I think that if we work together, I mean we can. I, I sound very Pollyanna in my attitude, but I really do think that working together we can make these. Uh, make these situations that have been going on we can make them better we can give hope for the kids right that's one of the things that our organization focuses on is changing that trajectory for kids who have witnessed the number uh, of our kids have either been abused themselves or or they've witnessed abuse Uh, you've seen that in the some of the families that you service through your organization sorry organization and you know we we just need to work better together. Um, I think we can we can make the courts more efficient in doing it that way.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I know you've already kind of touched on it, on what some of the gaps are in the legal system, but I'm wondering if you um, want to talk about a few more and what some of the barriers um, are that exist for women who are experiencing domestic violence um, and seeking legal support.
1: Well, I think I, the, the biggest gap that I see is the you know the the lack of training right you know again i i have three days of training and had i continued to practice i would have that was something that was important enough to me that uh, i would have continued uh, to refresh that but oftentimes when i would turn to my colleagues and talk to them about what intimate partner violence uh, training they had had or coercive control uh, or family violence on the whole they would say, well, I, yeah, I took a two-hour course through legal aid. Um, legal aid would offer some continuing education, so that's got to change. Now, we have to recognize um, and be able to either deal with it ourselves, because I'm not saying that lawyers can't become, or judges can't become, uh, domestic violence experts in and of themselves. I saw the utility in having other people involved. Um, the fact that the systems, for now, seem to continue to exploit that uh, let's wear down people, and especially uh, those suffering who have suffered abuse, right? So a woman going into a system may just throw her hands up and say, you know what, it's not worth the fight, uh, and it, but some of the issues or all of the issues may be very important to them, but they get, you get worn down uh, in the system. But perhaps the biggest barrier uh, is the fact that the system itself is set up in an adversarial way. And when you think of the word adversarial, I mean it, it immediately provokes thoughts of uh, divisiveness and acrimony and those that system in and of itself, I, quite frankly, I'm surprised we don't hear of more fatalities. Because I've, I've seen situations, I've been a part of situations where as a lawyer, uh, you know that that person heard what they wanted to hear and they're walking out steaming. And you know, the fact that thankfully in, my, in the course of my career, I didn't have to deal with a, a fatality. But let's, let's take a different shift. Let's look at it from a different lens and see if we can do this a better way that doesn't focus on uh, it being adversarial.
0: So as we're starting to wrap up here, um, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, I want to know why this conversation is important to you and why this is something we need to shine a light on. And then second part to that, um, I want to know what you think we can all do, the general public, uh, to be better neighbors. Because that's a big part of this project, too, is it's called the She Is Your Neighbor Project. Um, A lot more people experience domestic violence and family violence than we may realize. It's happening in our neighborhoods. Um, We want to do what we can to be better neighbors. So why is this important to you and what can we do to be better neighbors?
1: I mean, the simple answer of why this is important to me is because I know we can do better. I know that uh, just because a system has existed for so long doesn't mean that we have to become so entrenched. What always, what, or what often frustrated me in, in law was the fact that things were so slow to change. Um, I know that Bill C-78 was, uh, it, it was a shining star. And, and maybe some people, uh, some professionals didn't think it went far enough. My view was to tend to see, let's see the positive in this, because let's build that foundation. And where can we go from here? And I know that we're capable of doing better, and it, 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 it's frustrating to me right now that it's dragged on for as long as it has. Um, so here's hoping that it comes into force um, um, sooner rather than later and doesn't get bumped off again. You know, when it, one of the things that I learned is sitting back and listening, um, observing. So how can we be better neighbors? We don't need to have the answer to every question. Um, sometimes listening is, is what we need to do. Uh, reframing, ensuring that we've heard the person uh, correctly. Checking in, right? Seeing if people are okay. When you're recognizing certain situations, educate yourself. And it doesn't take a lot to educate yourself on um, what domestic violence looks like uh, or can look like. Uh, where maybe we've been fooled in the past to thinking that, well, it's, it's only a situation where somebody hauls off and hits another person. Um, and then checking in and seeing if they, they need anything.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Well, I really appreciate you coming here today and sharing that with us. It's, it's really helpful for me to learn all these things, and I think it'll be helpful for everyone else too. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We want to hear what you think. Use the hashtag SheIsYourNeighbor on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.